welcome everybody. And uh, it's great to, uh, to have you with us here tonight. Um, I hope you had a, an opportunity to watch the, uh, at least the first hour of the movie of the Gospel of John. And um, I hope you were able to, um, to uh, uh, re read the Gospel of John as you were watching. Um, we um, uh, had, had posted online that we were really hoping uh, that this would be an opportunity for everybody to uh, to really to read the gospel and not just to um, watch it for entertainment's sake, so to speak. Um, and so um, I'd like to uh, start off, uh, we'll start off with a short prayer um, and then we'll, uh, I'll share just a short meditation from contemplation from a particular uh, passage, uh, nothing, uh, you know, nothing uh, um, too long, uh, to give you all enough time to start um, typing your questions into the uh, in, into the chat box. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, if it's if it's manageable, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll make it so that you can unmute your mics and ask your questions. But uh, most likely, uh, it'll be easier if you just type your your questions into the chat box. Uh, and, um, and we'll be able to read them there and answer your questions as we go. So um, with all of that uh, um, uh, explained, also uh, after one hour, uh, we'll have a, uh, a prayer uh, and um, uh, dismissal for whoever would, uh, would like to go. Uh, and if there is interest and there still are questions, uh, we, we can maybe go on for just a little bit longer uh, if, uh, if the time allows. So we'll start off uh, uh, in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who sent us your only begotten Son, that we might believe in him and that believing in him, we may have eternal life. Father God, thank you for your endless providence for us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. We ask you now, we call you now, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come, be amongst us, teach us, show us, reveal to us your person, the person of the Holy Trinity, the persons of the Holy Trinity, God, your character, your person, who you are, reveal yourself to us. Show us, Lord, yourself in this night. Change us, I ask you, Lord. Change us, change me. I beg you, Lord, don't let a single person who's here and present leave without having been changed by you, even me, Lord. I also am coming to be transformed, to be changed by you. O oh, Holy Spirit, 
come. Through the intercessions of St. Mary, St. George, whom we celebrate today, St. Moses, St. Catherine, all of our friends who are in paradise, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So everybody, I'll uh, encourage you to, uh, I'm, I'm going to be covering um, John uh, 1 through 6. Covering is actually a very, um, uh, not the right way to say it. I'll be fielding questions from John 1 to 6 inclusive. And His Grace Bishop Paul fielding questions on from John, uh, Gospel of John, St. John chapter 7 through 13, inclusive tomorrow and Father Mark Aziz on, uh, on, on, uh, uh, on uh, uh, Sunday, uh, fielding questions from John 14 to the end. Um, and so I'll, I'll encourage you uh, to write your questions into the chat box now. Um, and I'll share just a short contemplation while y'all are, are, uh, are doing that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Um, this is from John chapter 5. Um, I'll share something brief with you there. Uh, so uh, John 5 is where Jesus heals the, the man who was lame for 38 years. Um, and he, he, as he's healing this man who was lame for 38 years, um, there's, a, there's a description of the pool, um, uh, the, uh, the pool of Bethesda or the pool by the sheep gate um, where that man was, was lying. So uh, I'll just read the first three verses of John 5. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So these people lay around the pool and the water of the pool was still. The water of the pool was still. And when the water was moved, they would jump into the water and whoever jumped in first was healed. I'm sure I didn't say anything to you that you hadn't heard before, as you've heard this gospel during Lent, or if you've never heard, uh, if you've never heard this 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 story before, uh, this this man is lying there, and he'd been lying there for 38 years. And Jesus asks him, um, "Would you like to be made well?" And he says, "I have no one to push me into the water because I'm I, I I'm 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 paraplegic or quadriplegic, and." So I'm, I, I don't know what to do. And Jesus says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he heals him. Now, 
this is a very interesting um, story. The place of healing is the pool. The place of healing is the pool under very specific circumstances when the water is moved. When the water is moved, all of a sudden it goes from being a pool for cleansing to a pool which gives new life. This is the story of our lives. Without, without the, 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 the movement of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are like this still pool. We are dead. At best, we are able to be cleansed. This is the story of the temple of the Old Testament and all of its sacrifices and all of its worship. At best, St. Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews, was able to cleanse from sin for a time. But then you, you, you would, you know, necessarily, you, you know, you, you fall in sin again and need to offer another sacrifice. Not so in the new covenant. Not so in the new covenant. When, when the water is moved, what does it mean the water is moved? When the water is moving means it's not still anymore. You go to a restaurant and you're having dinner, you're having lunch, you know, and they, you say, uh, they, what would you like to drink? They say, well, you say water. What do they say? Sparkling or still. The sparkling has life to it. When the Holy Spirit is inside you and me, when the Holy Spirit is alive and active in you and me, he becomes not only the healing, but the life giver. It generates life. Like Jesus, when he says to the Samaritan woman, the water that I give you, you come to this water, you're going to thirst again and thirst again. You're going to come every day. But the water that I give you will be a fountain inside of you. It's life-giving water. When we pray um, in, the, in, the, in, in the prayers of the church, which are divided into hours, in the third hour, there's a beautiful prayer, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Life Giver, the Giver of Life. I was praying before our session tonight, and I was bowing humbly before God. And I was saying to him, I am with this multitude of sick, blind, lame, paralyzed waiting for the moving of the water. And when the spirit comes and moves in the water, the water is made alive and the water moves. And the water doesn't only move those who are in the water, but the water moves, the spirit moves inside of us and we become movers with him. May the Lord Jesus Christ fill you tonight with his Holy Spirit. May God fill you with his Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Renew your covenant with us tonight. Fill us tonight with this new eternal life that you wish to share with us. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. So we'll start answering um, 
some of the some of the some of the questions. I got um, a question earlier today, which was asking me, Father John, what is the what is um, the 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 purpose of this gospel? The purpose of the Gospel of John um, is found uh, uh, very clearly stated in chapter 20, the, the very last verse in chapter 20, the first chapter of the resurrection. The Gospel of John is the only gospel that has two chapters on the resurrection. Um, the last two verses say, and uh, this is uh, John 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that, here's the purpose statement, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name is found in one very simple thing in believing in him and believing in Jesus Christ. Now, for us as Orthodox, you know, we act, you know, upon our belief through baptism and chrismation, uh, and, and there's much more that could be said about that. But um, the purpose statement of the gospel is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Another question which uh, uh, we received is that the sequence of events in the Gospel of John is very confusing. The sequence of events in the Gospel of John is very confusing. Some scholars, some scholars believe that the Gospel of John is not in chronological order. Some scholars believe that the Gospel of John is not in chronological order. You'll find in, in the second chapter, Jesus goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple and he, he, he throws out those who are buying and selling uh, in the temple. Um, we know that to have happened on Sunday night of his, um, of the last week of his life, or maybe Monday or Monday, Monday during the day or Monday or Monday evening, somewhere in there. So that, that would have happened after the triumphal entry, after the entry into Jerusalem, after Palm Sunday. Uh, but, it, but in the Gospel of John, Palm Sunday is in chapter, I want to say 12. Yes, chapter 12. So, uh, so why would, why would St. John write his Gospel not in chronological order? St. Luke writes and he says, I have written to you an orderly account, O Theophilus. Um, and he's saying that I, I painstakingly made sure as a physician, I took, I took, um, you know, uh, uh, very, I was very careful uh, to uh, manage every single detail and make sure I clearly uh, wrote to uh, everything in chronological order. But when it comes uh, to the gospel of St. John, Many scholars believe that it is not written in chronological order, or he did this event 
or this event happened twice, but we don't really have a lot of evidence from the other gospels as far as I'm aware that this event happened twice. And so uh, why would he not write his gospel in chronological order? Because he wrote it in a thematic order. St. John um, wrote his, his gospel in order of themes, seven themes, three chapters, three chapters each. In fact, you can break it down even further and you can look at each chapter and in each chapter you'll find the, that each chapter is revealing something about the character of Christ specifically or of God, the Holy Trinity. Chapter one, I am the word. Chapter two, I am God, shows, reveals his, he reveals his divinity. Chapter three is, um, is the conversation with Nicodemus all about new life through baptism. Um, and so on. Chapter four, the Samaritan woman, I am the spring of life. Chapter five, I am the healing. Chapter six, I am the bread of life. Chapter seven, let anyone who thirsts come to me. He, he, is, he is the water that satiates our thirst. And so, and so on, and so on. So the gospel of John, to my knowledge, is not written in chronological order, but is written in a thematic order to lead us to this very rational conclusion by the time you get to the end of the gospel you cannot possibly come to any other conclusion other than that jesus is indeed the christ the son of god and believe in him and thus have eternal life so um i'll turn to some of the questions in um in in the chat now um why did uh, St. John the Baptist continue baptizing even after uh, uh, Jesus um, uh, had come instead of becoming one of his disciples? He didn't continue baptizing for that long. Jo St. John, um, John the Baptist's entire ministry from when he started baptizing till he was put in prison was six months. Um, and in that time, Jesus was baptized. And in that time, Jesus taught his disciples and in that time, he sent his disciples out. And then in that time, his disciples began to, to baptize, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but they baptized. And then John was put in prison. So uh, there, there wasn't really that long of a period that that St. John uh, the Baptist was baptizing after Jesus was baptized, uh, after Jesus, his disciples had started baptizing. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll limit my, uh, I'll try to, to answer the question succinctly uh, so that we can answer as many as possible. Uh, the next person is pointing us to John 2, 23 and 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what is in man. Why, although people believed, yet Jesus would not entrust himself to them? And how can we avoid that? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus, um, Jesus chose 12 disciples, and he knew that one of his disciples would betray him. So 
uh, and that wasn't like um, it wasn't it wasn't it, it wasn't like a surprise to him or 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 something that came up that was unexpected. In fact, he prophesied it. In fact, uh, we we had a, a beautiful discussion in the church uh, around Holy Week, like online, obviously not physically in the church. The church is obviously now an assembly. The church is obviously now ecclesia, an assembly of people called out, has nothing to do with the building, which is a, 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 a beautiful truth, which was always true and is most clearly revealed now uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic, um, that we continue to be the church uh, without, without a building and are able to gather in his name. Um, we had this discussion in the church about Judas and, and it, it wasn't, I mean, it's so unfair of Judas and Jesus says it would have been better had he not been born. What, why didn't God prevent him from being born? You'll notice that Jesus multiple times, multiple times, let me just move out of the way here so you can see the icon of Jesus as well as me. Um, multiple times, uh, Jesus warns Judas. You, you find Jesus is almost trying to tell Judas, look, I know what you're going to do. It's not as, please be, please be careful. Please don't do this. Not because Jesus was trying to save himself from that. In fact, St. John Chrysostom tells us that if he had not been betrayed by Judas, the prophecies would have been fulfilled and he would have been betrayed by somebody else because he himself is the one who spoke the prophecies. He is the word of God. So it was his word which was prophesied hundreds of years ago that he would be betrayed uh, by one of, his, one of his closest fellows. So, so what, what Jesus is saying is that he knows that when we begin in, in the spiritual life, when we begin in our life with God, we, we throw ourselves at him, we throw ourselves at his feet, and we tell him, we tell him, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus knows, he knows our hearts. He knows, he, know, he knows that I'm, I'm, I'm running to God to grasp him with one hand and I'm holding on to the world and I'm holding on to my desires and I'm holding on to my flesh and I'm holding on to my pride and I'm holding on to a zillion other things with the other hand. He knows that. And because he knows that, you know, he, he is realistic. He is, he is realistic. Um, in his in in his expectations and what he says here and had no need that anyone should testify of man he wasn't looking for somebody who believed in him to stand up and say i believe he is the messiah i'm willing to put my life on the line he says i have no and and uh, further on i think in chapter five he said he, he says um i bear witness of myself and my witness is true there is another who bears witness of me and i know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true and you have, um, uh, uh, yet I do not receive testimony from man in John 5, 34. He's saying, I don't, I don't need anybody to testify of me because what I am saying is true. I don't need somebody to validate it. Jesus was in that point of testimony. He was referring to the law. In the law, it says that if two or three witnesses testify the same thing, then it is true. And you find in the story of Daniel and Susanna, when he wants to, he wants to see, uh, they want to see, are the, who's saying the truth? Is Susanna saying the truth? Or are these two elders that are accusing her of, of adultery? Are they saying the truth? So what does Daniel do? They are coming as, as two respected elders uh, at, to accuse Susanna of adultery falsely, right? They, 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 were, they were wicked. 
uh, and so they're they're accusing her of adultery. And so what does uh, what does what does Daniel do? God has filled him with a spirit of wisdom. He separates the two to see if their witnesses, if their testimonies will agree. So if their testimonies don't agree, which they didn't, then then it's not true. So that was a that was like a bona fide um, uh, uh, part of the law. Uh, so but Jesus is saying, I don't need somebody to, te to give testimony of, of what I say, to join me and say, yes, I believe what he says, what he says is true. And then they would be two witnesses and that would certify his testimony. He's saying, it's my word. I am the word. I don't need anybody to testify with me. So that's that, uh, that question. Hi, Abuna, can you explain uh, what is the story behind Nathaniel and the fig tree? Honestly, I don't know. I've read on it uh, before. Some of the fathers have beautiful contemplations for the sake of time. I'm going to cut to the chase. Um, uh, several different fathers say several different beautiful things and say it could be this or it could be that or it could be this. Uh, uh, but I don't know. What was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Did he have a vision? Did he hear uh, Did he hear? Uh, a voice, or was this episode of him being under the fig tree? Some people, uh, actually, in the church historically, um, think that uh, that Nathaniel was actually amongst the 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 infants of Bethlehem, uh, or was uh, 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 and and had should have been slaughtered. But like Moses, he was hidden, like in Moses' time when something similar happened, and there was a you know a, a genocide of infants or an infanticide. They uh, that they they hid Nathaniel in a basket under a fig tree. But this business of the fig tree was something that was really between him and God only. And the fact that Jesus mentioned it was, was to Nathaniel was what, what he felt like. Nathaniel felt in, that, in, in his statement that he had seen God. Almighty. And you see, that's what I mean by, 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 by the Gospel of John. The themes lead one into the other. This story of Nathaniel is at the end of chapter one. And chapter two begins with the wedding of Cana of Galilee, in which uh, the, the, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The wedding of Cana of Galilee is considered a theophany. It is part of the, the, the feast of theophany in the, in the Coptic rite. We celebrate the feast of theophany, the revelation of God in the baptism of Jesus. Um, and then, and we continue to celebrate it in the festive tune and with the, fe with, 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 with the festive joy of Theophany for three days, the Feast of Theophany the next day. And the day after that is the Feast of Wedding of the Wedding of Cain of Galilee, because it is also a Theophany in which the divinity of Christ is revealed. Theo, God, Fania, to see, revelation, right? But you see the theme of Theophany is preceded with the story of Nathaniel, because Nathaniel Jesus says to him, while you, under the, while you are under the fig tree, I saw you. And that is enough. That, that turns the key for Nathaniel to realize this man I'm standing in front of is God. Not a man. Not a person. He is God. What was it about that statement that made Nathaniel say that? I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows for sure, but I gave you a summary of what some people say. But Jesus says to him, <laughs> you like that, eh? You think that was spectacular? Just wait. What would you do if you saw 
the son of man in his glory and angels, right? Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. How glorious is that? Another question. Looking at chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Does that mean that Jesus, God, the Son, was always there since before creation and possibly helped in creation? Absolutely, sweetheart. That's exactly what it means. That there was no time when the Son was not. There was no time when the Son was not. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, like it says um, in John chapter 1. But uh, he is begotten of the Father, but there was no time when the Son was not. St. John of Damascus writes really beautifully on this in On the Faith, maybe chapter, book one, chapter eight, don't quote me, but I can find the reference for you if anybody wants. And he gives multiple proof, logical proofs to the fact that although Jesus is begotten, although the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is begotten of the Father, yet there was no time when the Father was and the Son was not. And the Father is, and, and, and the Son and the, and the, the Spirit, all three are, are from all of eternity and to all of eternity have no beginning and have no end. So how, but how does that make sense if Jesus is begotten of the Father? Well, the, God is unchangeable. He doesn't change. So one of the proofs that he gives that I thought was really beautiful is he says something really beautiful. He says that if the Father is the Father, and largely because he has begotten the Son, if there was a time when the son was not, the only begotten son was not, then the father would not have been a father. Like he was only a father because he has begotten the son. So he is, the son is the only begotten, but he is always begotten of the father. And he is the word of God, Jesus, that is the second person of the Trinity. And how did God create the world? He said, let there be light. He spoke a word and there was light. He spoke a word and the light was separated from the darkness. He spoke a word and the waters were gathered together and the earth appeared. He spoke a word, the word of the Father, the word of God is the Son, is the second person of the Trinity. As you have a mind, and with that mind you, you conceive, and then you speak a word, and the word that you say is what, what affects your will. In uh, Isaiah 55, 11, it says, my, uh, my uh, word shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that for which I sent it. We could understand that as the, the, the word of God, like scripture, but we can, of course, understand that as prophetic uh, pro prophecy by Isaiah of Jesus Christ, the word of God, which goes and does what he sent it to do. How do you mean? Like, like why would you say that? Suppose, you know, uh, you call, uh, you know, your, uh, your, your, your cell phone provider and you tell them, you know, please cancel my contract with you I, I i don't i don't want it i don't want my cell phone anymore with you right what did you do you spoke a word 
but that word is going to have a very powerful effect. It's going to cancel your, your cell phone contract, right? And so, so, so it is here, right? He, he's not just a word. It's not just words in thin air, but it's a word full of power, so much power that he can even, that he can even, even create. Um, going to the next question, in chapter 1, verse 30, St. John the Baptist says, I did not know who he would be, but weren't they cousins? Did they not meet before? And then why did St. John not follow Jesus after declaring him the Messiah? Beautiful questions. If you remember uh, clearly, uh, St. John the Baptist was born, uh, and then um, uh, he was whisked up. The history of the church tells us that um, uh, Zacharias, to save him from the infanticide during that time, ran with him to the temple uh, to, 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 to save him. And an angel whisked him up and took him to the wilderness. And he was raised there by angels. We don't know. Um, and we don't know anything about those first 30 years of the life of John the Baptist in the wilderness. But they were all in the wilderness. Um, the history of the church tells us. Um, and so um, he was indeed Jesus's cousin. Had they ever met before? I don't know. I don't know. But I think it is conceivable to believe that they had not ever met before. But even had they met before, Jesus's first cousins, James and Joseph, didn't believe in him. They followed him, but they didn't believe that he was the son of God. In fact, if you read in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15 about the, the resurrection and the ascension, some of his disciples only believed in him at the ascension. At the ascension, they believed in him, not even after the resurrection. Um, so uh, his, you know, even the people who are the closest to him, even his first cousins, had difficulty believing in him and they saw all of his miracles and they saw what he did, um, but they didn't necessarily were able to make up, make up his mind about him. Um, whereas, so St. John the Baptist, even if he had met him prior to the beginning of his ministry, prior to his baptism, then it's, it's possible that, that he, he would not have known. St. John the Baptist knew he was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, but he didn't, it's possible he didn't know who he was, even if he had known Jesus prior to his baptism. But what was the key indicator that revealed St. John the Baptist that, that this is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is when the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained upon him. And St. Cyril uh, of Alexandria, uh, Cyril of Alexandria speaks so beautifully about this, that it was impossible for the Holy Spirit to remain on anyone. Even in the Old Testament, the uh, prophets, when they prophesied by the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit, but then the Spirit left them. Like we say in Psalm 50, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. So King David had uh, an experience of being filled with the spirit, but obviously had an ex also an experience of the spirit deserting him. But for the spirit to descend upon him and remain, that, that, was, that was novel. To remain upon a human being, that human being could only be, could only be God, right? And now in, in, and now in us, through baptism, we are made a new creation, able to receive the Holy Spirit, and we receive the Holy Spirit in chrismation. 
but we receive the Holy Spirit um, in chrismation. Um, I'll go to the next question, try to get as many questions in, um, in the time that we have. Two questions, pick whichever, sure. Um, maybe I'll pick question two. If grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, how do we and the people of understa uh, Israel understand grace in the Old Testament? Grace, my beloved brothers and sisters, is not a theological concept. It's not um, an idea. Grace, my beloved brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, is part of the character of God. It's, it's, it's Jesus's middle name. It's who he is. He is grace. He is full of grace and truth. And so we find endless examples of grace in the Old Testament, because it is it is the very character of God. When we say when we say that God is love, God is light. It's not a verse in the Bible, but the fathers say over and over and over again that God is grace. He is grace. He he is that that very that is it's part of who it's part of who he is. I don't have a better a better way of saying it um, than that. And so. Every time God reveals himself in the Old Testament, you find that even his own revelation is grace. Grace, the word grace means an undeserved gift or, or, or a free gift given to the, to the undeserving. Well, who in the Old Testament was deserving for God to reveal himself to them? No one. The law, the law was given. We, we think that the law and grace are contrary to one another. The, the giving of the law to Moses was a grace. It was a gift. The people were beginning, they, they went, remember, like you, you, have to, you, you have to kind of like think about these things kind of in realistic terms. Joseph goes down to Egypt, Joseph the righteous as a slave, and becomes prime minister and saves the universe, and he is uh, for sure a foreshadow of the Messiah, right? He, you know, through the divine intervention, stores enough bread that the people may have bread and may not die, the bread of life. He's obviously a, a, a messianic figure, a Christ figure in in, in, the old, in the Old Testament. Not, forgive me, not an incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, just he is, um, he resembles Christ in many ways um, in the Old Testament. He was persecuted, he was betrayed by his, the people nearest to him, etc., etc. Anyways, Joseph goes down to Egypt, Jacob goes down. When Jacob goes down, and they, and, and with his whole household, and they decide to live in Egypt from then on, they're, they're 70 people. When they leave, they're about a million, right? A million people are not a family anymore. I mean, I have a pretty big family, but we're not a million people, right? Um, and it's fun having a big family and it's it's chaos, you know? It's chaos and it's fun chaos, right? But this is now, now they're, they're, they're a million people and there's no social construct. They're in the wilderness. So things were beginning to, de to degenerate towards madness. And so there had to be some rules, some laws. And so God gave them laws to live by. And you'll find a lot of those laws were sanitary and medicinal. They, they, they were a gift, a free gift, and they didn't do nothing to deserve it. Which proves to you, even the law, the giving of the law was, um, was, was, uh, was a grace. And so this, this character of grace is seated all through all through the Old Testament. You see that um, ta, uh, um, Tamar, 
uh, the story of Tamar and Judah reveals how Judah was really conniving. He was a terrible person. He was a horrible person, right? And he repented after his incident with Tamar and where he was going to have her burned at the stake uh, for, for adultery, which was actually with him. And he was going to have her burned at the stake. Imagine that for no good reason. And then he repents and he says, she has been more righteous than me. And after his repentance, all of a sudden, God pours his grace on him. And Judah becomes the tribe from which will come the Christ figure. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story of grace in the person of Judah. Chapter 1, verse 51. Jesus told Nathanael, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Was he referring to the end of day's judgment or to his holy resurrection? Most most uh, likely to both. Um, but, you know, to be honest with you, I would like to read more uh, on this um, to give you a better answer of what of what the father specifically say. By the way, just just a little plug. Um, there's this great app out there called Katina, C-A-T-E-N-A. -E um, uh, you can download it for free anywhere if you prefer Arabic or or or, or English. Uh, both are there. It was initially initially an English app, but but they've just added um, Arabic to it, um, and you can get uh, uh, commentaries, and you can limit it to early church father commentaries, or everyone, or Western fathers, Eastern fathers, and so on. Um, and that would be a great place to uh, to to uh, to look this up. Um, but I, I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, if there is a sp specific meaning, I feel like there maybe there's a specific meaning that the fathers refer to. But certainly, certainly, the angels paid homage to Christ in his resurrection in Gethsemane. And obviously on, on, uh, on Judgment Day, and I believe at the Ascension as well. Chapter 3, verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Who is our? Is Jesus referring to the Trinity? In chapter 5, as Jesus speaks to the people, he calls God the Father. Uh, was this a used terminology by the Jews or was it new? And that's why it shocked them. Um, it was not unusual that God was referred to in the plural. Um, you find like when, when God refers to himself in, in the creation chapters in, in Genesis, he's referred to as Elohim. Uh, so uh, Jesus on the cross, when he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, Eli. So the, 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 the singular was Eli, the, the, the plural is Elohim, but it's not, it's not a plural like, um, like I have many brothers and sisters. It's almost a plural which is reserved for the use almost like royalty, the royal we. Um, uh, we have decreed you know, the, the, the queen will write, uh, and, uh, and so on. Um, and so th there's certainly, there's certainly that connotation, which they would have been very familiar with. And it's very possible that since Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, a man very familiar with the law, that he was speaking to him in terms that would help him to recognize who it was he was speaking to. Um, for sure, uh, uh, Jesus could be also referring to 
um, referring to the Trinity. Um, uh, as to the terminology of God the Father, um, I, I, I would have to look carefully um, and think carefully and, uh, and ask to confirm to you that that was something that was what uh, was present in the Old Testament, but even if it was present, it was it, it's, it would be something that would have been present um, discreetly. Yes, God likens himself to a father in Deuteronomy. He tells, you know, Deuteronomy, the retelling of the law, Moses is on the mountain, telling the, the new generation, the first generation that had left Egypt uh, with Moses had died in the wilderness. And so the new generation, which, uh, which was born in the wilderness, he's telling them the law. That's what Deuteronomy is, the retelling of the law. Um, and he tells them that, that God carried you on his shoulder as a man carries his son all these, day, all these years in the wilderness. So, um, so yes, God likens himself to a father, uh, but uh, in theological terms, uh, revealing himself as the father, the first person of the Trinity, the begetter of the son. I, I don't believe that that was a concept that they would have been in any way, um, any way familiar with. Chapter three, verse three, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again here is referring to baptism, right? Yes. Um, if that is the case, isn't that baptism and chrismation? If that's the case, uh, isn't that clear evidence that we can't enter heaven uh, without being baptized? Um, how is it then that there are other Christian denominations who don't believe that baptism is necessary? Look, my beloved uh, brother and sister, um, uh, all, all I can uh, tell you is what has been handed down to me in scripture, in, in the written tradition and in the oral tradition, right? What has been handed down to us. What has been handed down to us is what the church teaches um, that, that all of the sacraments and living, living the life of Christ, participating in the life of Christ is necessary for our transformation, for our restoration. We're not concerned about going to heaven. I'm not going to heaven. I'm not, I'm not gonna get on an airplane and travel to heaven i i am i am my goal my wish my dream is to live in the kingdom of heaven now is to live the life of christ now is to live the fullness of the life of christ now to be in, to be that he be incarnate that the word of god be incarnate in my flesh that is that is the life that i wish to live and that for that it all of what the church offers us is necessary. All the sacraments of the church, all of the life of the church, all of the teaching of the fathers, all of the lives of the saints participating in all of this is life. This life is, is what is necessary. Now, what I know is that if what the church has taught me is that if I do all of that, yes, I live in the kingdom of heaven now and forevermore. If I don't, I don't know. I don't know. God didn't abdicate his throne and put me on it to judge the universe and say, this is what happens to you and this is what happens to you. Now, from this text, yes, that's, that's and Jesus also clearly says elsewhere, unless you are baptized, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And baptized, well, baptized into what? Into You were baptized into a faith, 
right? We're baptized into a, a belief. We die and we're reborn again, born into something. But please, please let us remain humble and let us keep our feet on the ground and let us leave these matters of, of judgment of judgment to God. However, for these reasons, I wish for everybody to receive the free gift of God, to receive this new life that he wishes to offer us, to receive his Holy Spirit, to come and participate and receive his body and receive his blood. And folks, it's for free. We don't charge a fee. Remember the first time I ever prayed a wedding was when we were still renting churches and we didn't have our own uh, our own uh, 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 building. And the, the couple asked me, uh, Father, is there a fee that we have to pay for you or for the church? So I had no idea. So I happened to be uh, reading their text message while I was chatting with the, uh, with the, 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 the vicar of that, of that um, Anglican church. And so I asked him, what do you do? Do you, charge a, do you charge a fee for the priest and a fee for the church and all of this? And he looked at me with a very serious face. We were laughing and all of a sudden he became very serious. And he said to me, Father John, in his very clear South African accent, I have received the gift of God, the gift of priesthood for free. How could I then charge anyone something for it? Now, I'm not criticizing who charges what, but I'm just telling you that for the most part in Coptic churches, for the most part in the church, the gifts of God are given for free. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you receive them? Come, repent, confess. There's no, there's no, there's no fee for confession. Come confess every second day, every third day. Come confess every day. <laughs> it's free. No one's gonna, no one is charging you, um, is charging you anything. Carrying on. Um, someone asked for more details about the story of Nathaniel and the fig tree. And um, uh, I think I I, I, I I talked a lot about it and there's still tons of questions to come. So sorry, I'll just carry on. Um, chapter 6, verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, Jesus teaches, this is uh, Jesus teaching on I am the bread of life, which comes down from heaven. Um, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? God, to, God had to know how difficult it would be for the followers to understand what it meant to eat from his flesh and drink his blood. Why didn't he open their hearts and minds to understand this? Why did he allow for so many followers to leave and not open their hearts to understand and be saved. I don't know why God does what, what he does. And whenever somebody tells you why God does what he does, unless God explicitly said what his intentions were, I would encourage you to take it with a grain of salt. And I'm not saying that as a criticism of anyone else. I mean, saying that, so I'm encouraging you to take what I'm going to say now with a grain of salt. Let's be honest, nine out of 10 times, I don't even know what my own intentions are with absolute certainty. So how am I going to start guessing now what, what God's intentions are in any way, shape or form? But I want us to take just take a step back here for a second and let, let's let's just ponder something. I was sharing this in a small Bible study, I think, yesterday, and I've shared this thought before. Um, when, when you when you read the words 
of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, how much do you understand? 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%. Wow, you, are, you have like outrun me by leagues and miles, right? I hardly understand anything. And I have access to commentaries. And I know how the story is supposed to end. And I know how the whole thing goes. And I've read the prophecies. And I've read the Bible to cover, cover to cover a whole bunch of times. And I've heard a zillion sermons. And I've been in the church all my life. And I preach. And, 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 and. Do you think that the people Jesus was talking to, these were Galileans, okay? Galilee was like the armpit of Israel, and Nazareth was the armpit of Galilee. Jesus was from the armpit of the armpit of Israel, or, or Palestine at the time, you know, the, the, the Roman state. Anyways, do you think these people actually understood what Jesus was saying? Of course not. Do you think God knew that? Absolutely. So why did they follow him? They followed him because he fed them. They followed him because he fed them. Do you think his disciples understood? They didn't understand. I don't think they understood that much of what he said. But I think they understand and they understood who he was, who he is. I don't think that was a mystery. I don't think that was a mystery to them. In fact, we see that very clearly from St. Peter's answer. When he says to them, do you also want to go away? St. Peter answers and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you see how the purpose statement, and that's why I started with that question of the gospel, that the gospel of John was written for the purpose of us believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him, we can have life in his name. And we're ending with this question, at least for now, we're ending with this question, because my beloved brothers and sisters, what our hope, what our goal was of this Gospel of John weekend was that you would read the Gospel of John. You would hear the words of Jesus. You would hear him and he would speak to you. And about 99% of it is going to go right over your head. And you'll bring your questions to these Q&A sessions. And we'll try to answer as many of your questions as we can. But his disciples didn't understand either. But they met him. They knew him. They experienced him. They saw the, that one look of it, his eyes was enough to heal all of the Samaritan woman's past. They saw that he hugged lepers. They experienced that. They experienced the, their own personal healing with just one look from his eyes. And my prayer for you and for myself, my wish for you and for myself, 
is that you would meet Jesus also, and you would lock eyes with him. And he might say a whole bunch of stuff, and you might understand 1% of it, if even that. But that you would walk away from that encounter saying, I can never leave you, because to whom will I go? Who else has the words of eternal life? I also have come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And believing in you, I have eternal life in you and in your name. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who has revealed to yourself through all creation, through all the Old Testament. Lord God, you've been revealing yourself and all the saints of the Old Testament they knew you. Joseph knew that it was a great sin to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Although, Lord, you had not yet given the law in Moses that came a few hundred years later. But he knew. He knew that that was unacceptable. And living in your presence, he knew you. I ask, Lord God, as you have revealed yourself, and you've revealed yourself in your word, and most of all, Lord God, you've revealed yourself in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would reveal yourself to every single one of us by the working of your Holy Spirit in each one of us, in every single one of my brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers gathered here. Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us who Jesus is. In the name of Jesus, through the intercessions and prayers of all the saints well pleasing to since the beginning, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let he who desires to depart, depart in peace. <laughs>